this is Edwin K. Morris, and you are about to embark on the next Pioneer Knowledge Services Because You Need to Know, a digital resource for you to listen to folks share their experience and knowledge around the field of knowledge management and nonprofit work. My name is Dr. Annie Green. I'm actually talking to you from Alexandria, Virginia, which is right next to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. I am in the field of digital transformation, and this is by way of knowledge management. I got introduced into a new way of thinking to identify intangible values within an organization, and I began thinking, how can we actually leverage things that we don't know? I could talk about this for hours because one of the things I want to see is I actually want to see our environments a little bit better with how we engage employees and how we actually leverage what we know and how we know down to utilize and improve the organization. So sometimes what my area is, I want to look at the top and see and make certain that we established strategies that actually take into consideration all components of an organization, which includes the employee, which takes me right back to knowledge management and them as an asset and the value that they bring to an organization. My mentor in this field was Michael Stankowski out of um, George Washington University. Michael introduced me to knowledge management and subsequently led me to my dissertation topic, which was around intangible assets, um, such that we can begin to recognize what is truly bringing value to organizations and improving their performance in their overall bottom line. You talk about digital transformation. So does that require a digital strategy or people just like, just follow the regular strategy an organization already has? The overall strategy should incorporate everything. And the point is when you're digitalizing something, you're actually creating your reality into a digital world. So therefore it doesn't change, but you have to determine if the AI infused tool or product, or if the digital component fits into the function that it's supposed to fit into. For example, if you were a transportation company and you have drivers and you have vehicles and you decide to go with autonomous cars, then you really aren't replacing the function. What you're doing is you're actually automating yeah. portions of it and you must then incorporate it into that particular function of your organization. So digitalization should be aligned with your current strategy formulation uh, such that you can see the value that it's bringing at that particular point. Wouldn't a CIO or CTO, somebody that's in charge of the tech, already say, oh, we're already doing that? We, are, we already do that. Yeah, and you know what? This is what's called process improvement. And we've been on this uh, path for a while. You know, we kind of started out with we eliminated people. We downsized, we right-sized, we um, actually did business process reengineering, and then we got to process improvement, and we're actually even still pulling in some of those ideas, you know, with Scrum and um, Six Sigma and all of that. But again, when you look at those, you'll find out that they are just components of the total picture. For example, even when we uh -huh. sit back and we do like Scrum and doing change management, we figured out that you don't necessarily go after the whole. If you go after the whole, then sometimes it's difficult to pivot out when a problem happens. So by breaking it down into functional components where you can actually work on one piece at a time and if something happens, you can pivot quickly and come back or as they would say, fail quickly, that works a lot better. Yeah. The methods that we're changing are really good and they're actually responding to some of the issues and the problems that we have. 
But the problem is when we implement a method, we implement it as a total solution and not necessarily as a new improvement to the current process. You let off with the concept of automation, especially your example where you're going to automate the driver. You're going to remove the physical, the human element, and just replace it with an automation. Does the digital strategization, is it heavy towards automation or just processes Um, in general? I think it's more so heavy toward automation because what we're doing is we're automating the processes that we have. And most of the time they are routine. But we have also gotten to a point now where we can actually put more of our like forecasting types of activities within the intelligence piece of it. So that actually helps the machine to think more for you, yeah. not to replace your thinking, but to think more for you. Right. And that's why, you know, when people are filling in certain things and it can come back and tell you, hey, you forgot this part of it, it's still part of the same function. Now, part of cleaning up some of what we have is that perhaps we're capturing too much stuff that yeah. we don't necessarily need. And we need to look at that and see if we have a lot of noise around the data that we're capturing. But with digital transformation, I think what's happening is that, especially with Corona, it kind of plummeted us into this um, field of, you know, now we have to use these tools and we have all these new workspace tools because, you know what, we're more remote than we are on-prem, as they would Mm -hmm. say, on on the premises. I think that that kind of skewed it a little bit because I think in that process, we have actually forgotten about digitization and we're more doing digitalization. Now, the difference in that is if you're going to be representing something in a digital world, then you must represent it as it is in the real world. Example, please. Yeah, if I'm to be represented in a component or algorithm or something that's within the digital world, it should adequately represent me. Because if not, the data is flawed. Okay, can you walk that dog a little further and give us okay. give us a hard example of what? Okay, you're... let's let's look at an algorithm that might look at competence. Okay, hey. this algorithm it, it looks at behavioral cues, and those behavioral cues might even be the amount of time that you take to respond to something, which might give them indication that you perhaps don't know it. What that is doing is if if it doesn't represent this person oh. that they have you would call as neural diversions, where the brain develops and works a little different, then it might consider that person to not be competent, whereas that person is fully competent, but you've built into the algorithm just to um, fit for people who aren't in that category. Understandable. Okay. So do we have to start looking at inclusion in the digital transformation? Absolutely. You know what? It should be there from the start. I'll give you an Man. example also of that. Like with Washington, D.C., as I said, from our nation's capital, you know, one of the things that they have realized is the discriminatory behavior that's happening within algorithms. So in 2021, they actually identified an act in order for them to eliminate or ban discriminatory algorithms. Now, here's the somewhat problem with that. It wasn't considered from the beginning. Along said with systems that if you don't consider those things from the beginning, then when you go to put them in later on, it's going to cost you way more and it may not be introduced into it properly. So what's the fix for that? Is How do you address that? And, and more importantly, how do you enforce it? Well, the thing is, you're right. How do you enforce the act? The thing is, we missed the opportunity because we know what discrimination is yeah. prior to developing them. So we should have the right people at the table to ensure that even if your developers are not educated in that area, that you have someone there that can tell them we need to consider this. Yeah. There are a lot of things like that, because even like I was at Georgetown, Kathy O'Neill, who wrote Weapons of Math Destruction, 
um, there was a conversation that came up about jobs and being able to screen people out of jobs. And a lot of times with resumes, and even resumes or even online, they will ask a person, what are some of your hobbies? And sometimes they'll gear you or steer you toward certain hobbies. And they might ask you, well, what genre of music do you like? And when you say, oh, I like hip hop, then you're automatically assumed to be African-American and they will screen you out of that particular uh -huh. that consideration. You can't expect the developers to know all of that because those are not the fields that they are well, um, sure. experts in. And that's why when you build a yeah. system with requirements, you need to understand that. Let's talk about something that you brought up before, the mindset, tool set, and skill set, seeing as we're talking about uh -huh. domains of knowledge an individual has. Uh -huh. Can you walk a little bit through what you're thinking of this? Uh, and would you consider these value-based well, parameters or just organizational yeah, concepts? Yeah. Within the organization, if we're trying to create a digital twin or digitized organization, right, that means we must build it based on the reality. And the organization should be built objectively and based on the goals of the organization. So that's how the employees should be trained. You can't change employees from their mindsets of what they've had for years, but you can put into place controls and mechanisms that will ensure that they are following the policies, procedures, and standards that you have established. I think a lot of times what we want to do right now is we ignore it and we say, well, they're just people and that's just the way they're going to be. That's okay. But when they cross over into the organization, you have values there that need to be instilled and move forward as well. The mindset, I think that we need to change the mindset of people that once again, and I hate, I'm not trying to be cruel with this, but I think that we have a very selfish nation right now. And we have to change that mindset to let people know that it's not just you. In your domain of your home, it's you and your family and how you react might be differently than when you come into another environment and there are other people that need to be considered too. So that's why we have to look at that diversity and inclusion. And a lot of times it's not necessarily that they're trying to do something wrong, but um, it might be good intentions, but it might be naive competencies. You hey. know, it might be that people just don't kind of know. And until you tell them they can't do better. But when we don't take those things into considerations, then we wind up building the wrong models and also the wrong data is being captured, which is why we need to make certain at the front end of that data management that we're clearly identifying what we're going to be using in our decision-making digital tools. Based on everything we've just spoke about, how would you grade organizations now? Is it a pass or a fail? I, I, I think it's a fail. And you know what? All of the information is actually showing us that. You know, when you look at the Everett Group study and Forbes uh, and also McKinley, all of them are in the 70 percentile of failure. I think we don't truly understand why. And I think it's because, again, we're looking at digitalization. So we're putting products in place that have AI yeah. within it. But we never thought about how those products or how those AI components were actually developed or digitized to be represented within the organization. So how do we get there? What's your prescription? We stop and take a step back. I think everything can be fixed, and I think we have a lot of components that can work together, but I also feel as though the area that we fail in is integration. We stop thinking that things work together, and we have so many stovepipes, and we have got to change. That's that mindset, too. We've got to change the mindset that we have to collaborate and that we can't just do things independently. So who owns this in an organization? Is it the chief knowledge officer or the CEO in particular just has to drive all this? 
because somebody's got to own it. It's all over the place. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. And right now it's all over the place. I see where they have CDIOs, where they have CDOs, they have chief digital officers, chief data officers, chief data and information officers, chief information officers. I said, you see what I'm saying? So none of that is separated. But here's the thing. It actually evolves up through. And sometimes the chiefs in the areas, you, you got to really delineate it properly now. The old way of looking at when we talked about knowledge management, we actually went up the triangle that said you started with data, you go to information, and then you go to knowledge, and then you go to wisdom. And even though that's existed for years, most people didn't see the transition up through it. So I've kind of said, let's change the narrative of that because we're missing a major component. Data is where we start and we have to know what data we're capturing and then we have to know how we're going to use that data. But that data drills up into domains. It fills in certain domains and at that level is where you actually integrate it with organizational development as well as organizational behavior because those things come into play and you get DEI there. So that's the domain level. Once you get to that domain level, information then you can get to intelligence because that's where we're talking about our neural networks because our neural networks yeah. are the cross-pollination of all of that to not only know what's there, but to discover what's there. So now we're at a good point where knowledge management was tacit and explicit. We're at a good point where we have good explicit knowledge that is based on evidence and reality. So now we're into knowledge management and we begin to test to see how that works. And you know what? That drills us into the cognitive level, which is awareness and attention. Once we start going up that path and we start identifying, it doesn't have to be a chief data officer, but it has to be somebody who owns that. And then we have to have information and we already have a CIO, so they should be able to handle that next level. I don't know where we have for eye for intelligence. I think they bring in maybe the chief digital officer there, and then you have a chief knowledge officer, okay? And then at the top, you don't have anyone for the cognition area, which is the area yeah. that actually drives your strategic formulation and gives you insights into where your major areas of improvements are within organization. That's a good point. You, we've got all the parts and pieces. Right. It's like you got the perfect <laughs> recipe, but right. nobody knows how to put it right. all together. Nobody knows how to bake the cake. It's like, oh my gosh. It, but when you were just talking about that, it, it's almost, so you've got the layers and the domain owners and all those things, but it's all, once you got to the pinnacle, so it sounds like there should be a co-leadership mm -hmm. model between the CEO or the president or whatever the label is, okay. whoever's the chief bottle washer is, and maybe create a chief cognition officer <laughs> that is a, mm -hmm. a doctor of osteopathy is more a holistic doctor, right? Is more right. like the whole right. thing. And you almost need that. So it's almost like a shared leadership possibility in a new organizational structure because you know, all these things you've been talking about, and I'm like, how do you hire that digital okay. workforce? What's the magic item you're looking for in their capabilities uh -huh. to bring in to be that in this new world of organizational paradigm? Absolutely, especially if you're not aware of what you need. What do we shop for when we're looking for people? And plus, we've, we've changed so many things, too, that um, concern me. Like, for example, you know, systems engineering was the development of systems. So that was the total kit and caboodle, you know, that was automation or technology needed, the information and everything. And a lot of companies actually dwindled that down to it being a network person. They've missed the whole concept yeah. of system development. So when you start yeah. advertising, if you look 
the tools that they have, they're looking for people now. When they look for a systems engineer, the, the functionality capabilities and what's expected or the skill sets and also the tool sets they need to work with, all of that's missing because that's not a true systems engineer. But, that... it, but it seems like there's a element also, a shift, and that's my general viewpoint, is that some organizations are kind of getting away of the certifications, the pedigree, so to speak, okay. and getting more into the human. Are, are you adaptable? Do you have grit? Do you, do you are keep... and I, Yeah, and I hope they don't do that because I do think that you need those certifications, right. but those certifications need to be that they actually certify that a person is competent and qualified to do a job. I think organizations in the past, unfortunately, they would hire people who were capable and capable is not competent. Capable means that you have the ability to rise to the competency level. But with the certification, certification should certify that you are competent. And so once you walk into that position, you should be able to perform that, you know, the role well. I, I think we need to rethink that as well because we've confused the roles. Even at the higher level of the chief levels, I have seen where organizations, even if it is an executive and the executive has no background in a particular field, they will move them into one of the chief positions simply because they were already at the executive level. Yes, I've seen it. It's like, <laughs> oh my good gosh, they've homegrown these so-called chiefs. And it's like, that's almost a self-defeating parameter. Mm -hmm. to the organization because you're really limiting. Absolutely. I understand how it happens and, and kind of the mm -hmm. why, but it sure doesn't challenge what the organization could be doing. And it, it is a disconnect. You know, when we start talking about the brain and that we need to emulate this and how it's thinking, and most people, you know, neurology is an interesting area and we don't understand the brain because the brain actually has what's called the mind that regulates the entire body. The brain is normally that brings it together and say, okay, this is the area we need to address at this point, which fits with strategic formulation. So the executive should be able to look into what is a scorecard or dashboard and see these are the areas. But that comes from, again, those neural networks of the cross-pollination of all of those things within the organization, you know, that give you insights into what areas you're supposed to work in. So that neural network that you're talking about, that is your mind. It should touch on everything that's within an organization so that you can see where your high leverage areas are and also where you need to change. Well, the challenge of that concept is, is that the human frameworks has got a bunch of autonomous systems that are unconscious happening. It is. And that's where you run into the problem, uh -huh. right? Is that how can you mirror in an organization to get to the unconscious happenings and uh, like you say, having the dashboard yeah, to be well, able to- Yeah, we have them. But they're built by mm -hmm. people. So I worked with an organization in implementing the dashboard concept. They, it looked great, you know, briefed well. Hey, yeah, that's what we need. You know, red, yellow, green. Yep, great. But they really didn't think of the implementation pain of trying to understand what are the metrics we're trying mm -hmm. to capture to give us the indicators to begin with. Absolutely. What happened was my job was to go to these different departments, different heads and all these okay. and start saying, okay, so what do, what do we measure? And what happened was is that once I started looking under the hood of what they said to measure, I'm like, why the hell are yeah. you doing it like that? <laughs> what, you know, it, yeah. it, it's like, 
yeah. Oh, where do you yeah. start? So I, I think there's yeah. a, a catch-all. You have to know. Well, and then that became a cultural rub in that organization because then people are like, oh, I don't really want to show you how we do things because then you're going to say, why do, why do you do it that yep. way? You know, you, you know <sighs> I think they have to be open also to sense-making because you know what makes sense and you know what's common sense and common sense is not within your structures. I think sometimes, and this is again, my personal opinion, but we need to let the egos go. If you have an ego and you think that someone else shouldn't be smarter than you because they're at a lower level, you need to rethink it. <laughs> you can leverage people and plus. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about major layoffs now. <laughs> major. Check your ego at the gate. Don't bring that ego yeah. in here. Oh, yeah. my good gosh. You're talking about building the utopia. Come on. Mm -hmm. Well, that's part of that mindset. Do we want to succeed? Because we're in a very disruptive state right now. I mean, do you want to go down with the ship or do you want to save the ship? Actually, what I'm talking about is actually the work that I'm doing right now and building a model from that from my dissertation of where do we start, which is where the values point within an organization because that's where we want to gather the information from and we want to build structures so that we can actually build networks to know how they work together. Speak more to this value-based construct, please. The value-based construct is actually called a framework of intangible valuation areas. And what I did was I went out to CEOs and I asked them, what do you want to know within an organization? And it's interesting because there have been a couple of studies that have actually validated this, and I've, I've had that in some of my write-ups. But there are eight areas within an organization that makes up an organization and where you get your value from. Could you please list off the, what are they called again? The eight domains? or the Yeah, eight? they're value areas, value. intangible value areas. Can you explain to me what these value areas are in an organization that you've identified? These value areas are actually are, they complete an organization. They start out with things like employee. You want to know the contributions of the employee. If you want to know contributions of partners, vendors, contractors, anybody that supposedly on your value chain that adds value. Things like information. And most people kind of say, why information? But a lot of people need information to do their jobs. And a lot of times there have been studies that show that people spend 20% of their time looking for information that they don't have to do their work. And most of the time they don't find it. So no one's measuring that impact. And then you have technology. Technology is not our solution. It is inserted into the way we work to add value. So we need to determine if the technology we're putting into place, even like with these AI-infused tools, if they're working to perform the way that we need to perform. We also need good business processes. You know, we've been going through this for a while where we've been trying to make them lean and eliminate wasteful activities and things like that. So that's a value area. And then product and service. You know, of course, we want to make certain our products and services meet our customers' demand and that they're of quality. The next is our customer. We want our customer to be happy. So we need to understand what's making our customers happy, who are our most profitable customers, and who, you know, sticks around on leads. And then last but not least, we have the area, and I called it competitor, but then I changed this to be like marketplace. We want to know where we stand in the marketplace because that adds value, you know, such things as branding and that sort of um, information. So those are the eight areas. So you're saying use these as your calibration tools or your gauges. These are your gauges on your dashboard. So how do you measure value? 
And also, I kept hearing you're wanting to measure the positive value, but I assume you're also going to measure the negative value. Absolutely. So you're going to do a scan oh. of all these gauges, who's involved mm -hmm. or in these gauges, right, in these mm -hmm. domains or areas, and you're going to identify pluses or negatives in that Absolutely. area. You're going to somehow run a summary total. Uh, well, I, you would have indicators. through the Indicators. What? You know, you would set up key performance indicators around them. And then you, you roll them up together, too, because we've been talking about the different capital areas. So when you look at this and we do employee and customer, we can look at relationships between employee and customer, employee and competitors, employee and partners. And, you know, even um, we can start looking at competency. Oh, mm -hmm. so so that's a whole other mm -hmm. layer, right. right? So now you've got. You've got your primary areas, and now you've got interactivity between areas. Yeah, that's what I call the cross-pollination. Yeah. That sounds pretty rich. And that gives you your neural network. I like it. Yeah. Neural network. Hmm. So you're going to build an AI that does all this? To be, to be honest with you, I have built it. No, I have I have actually built the architecture for this. I want the beta of this so yes. I can try it out. So let me know when you're ready to go to market. I have laid out the architecture and everything, and it is actually called My Artificial Enterprise. And it is driven by what engine I call as Business Reasoning Intelligence Analytics Network. Okay. Where do we sign up? How, <laughs> how do I get it? <laughs> that, that's the book that I'm writing now. I'm writing okay, the book, right. My Artificial Intelligence, to get that out. Hopefully, it'll be something that people will see makes common sense. And you're right. It, it's, it's equivalent to something like the gap, where you would have a reporting system to be able to report on intangible asset valuation versus, you know, us only looking at tangible. And the reason for that is that intangibles actually account now for 90% of the value of an organization. Mm -hmm. So your people are valuable to you. Your information is valuable to you. Your technology is valuable. But now you need to know the true numbers. How valuable is it's it? It's almost, and I don't know if I'm using the right term, but this is the, just popped in my head. It's like a truth table to the evaluation of that area, right? Just because you have technology doesn't mean it's adding any value. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it's like you're really- Absolutely. You, and you know, it's interesting right. because back, I forget what year, but John Silly Brown and Paul Strassman, both of them did studies and demonstrated that the technology we were putting in place was adding zero value to the organization. And I think that is still prevalent today. And I think that we are leading in that direction again or headed in that direction again with AI. I'm not seeing where the value is. It's just the next shiny thing, right? So we want to. You got it. We want to be distracted it. by the next shi shiny yeah, thing. I, I, I like gotcha. that. Mm -hmm. Just people. Just you know, human it's nature. Funny. We got it. That's why we got to change it. it. Uh, <laughs> we we got to change it. It's evolution. It's the way we have yeah. evolved, and unfortunately, we need to stop and rethink. Yeah. And that's why we're in this whole era of thinking now. We have got to think and we've got to be aware and we've got to pay attention and we've got to be able to recall. I think that we have failed that recall because there's so many things that we have done in the past that we're repeating right now. Yeah. The, the, the first step, the critical thinking in this viewpoint is to ask, what the hell's the value? What is the value yep. of this? Mm -hmm. Frame it with the organization. What's the uh -huh. value of the organization that chase this next shiny thing? And is it worth our time and effort? Because it's pulling away resources that we could be doing something else right now. 
Oh my God, you just brought back a memory to me. I had a, uh, <laughs> I had somebody working on my team and he would come to ask me something. And then he told me later on, he said, it is just amazing how you just cut through the chase. He'd present something to me and he'd think about it. I remember I looked at him and I said, well, is this bringing you value? Does it help you do this? And he's like, not really. I'm like, okay, how about this one? And he thinks about it. He says, oh, maybe that's what happened. Yeah, this will work. I said, then why are you wasting your time on the other two? Yeah. He looked at me and went, this is amazing. He says, I get lost in all of the, the forest. And he says, and you just cut through the chases there. If it's not adding value, then don't worry about it. That's where that <laughs> chief cognition officer in the organizational structure is going to come in handy to challenge all this and say, what's the value you got of it. my neural network spending time on this? I like it. I see that as parallel to the chief financial officer. You're right. Anyway. So I don't think we need all the chiefs down below, yeah. but we do need those two that complement each other because together they oh, bring in like what that. is the total performance of an organization. Exactly. Well, and and then you're really putting the parameter of dollars mean something, and we have a CFO to make sure we're we're watching all those pennies and, and making mm -hmm. sure there's value extracted from every penny. Mm -hmm right next to the knowledge or cognition person that's going to make sure all these processes and efforts are all making sense for the value of knowledge. You got it. Or wisdom or whatever whatever elevation right. we uh, want to put I know it. what you're saying. Uh -huh. Wow. I think we've just built a whole new organizational structure. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, that we do need that. We need new models. I mean, but we could start with the old models as long as we can see how to improve them improve. for the betterment. Yes, yes. You know, my biggest thing is when I came into knowledge management, it was supposed to be better, faster, cheaper. And I haven't seen that. <laughs> and I haven't seen any of the measures that lead me to believe that we've been successful. So that's why oh, I have to say, I think we failed. Yeah. <laughs> but failure isn't a bad no, thing. No, as long as we learn yeah. from it, right? And that's the key yeah. ingredient, as long as we're willing to reflect that we failed and it's time to change something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. don't know how to not to do something unless you fail at something. So it's a learning tool. But you just don't want to learn when you've lost billions of dollars. You want to learn. Well, <laughs> so you want... Yeah. early, early on. <laughs> yes. We've talked about a lot of things, and it's been very exciting, Dr. Annie Green, but I need to ask, what's your definition of knowledge management? <laughs> this is so funny. It is what it is. You know, I look at Webster, and Webster tells you the definition of knowledge, and I accept that. And it tells me the definition of management. So therefore, I know that I need a structure in place that allows me to be able to manage what knowledge is. So I need to engineer knowledge, and then I need to be able to manage and sustain it. So I'm through with the definition of knowledge management because it's been on the board too many times. And, and we got like, what, a thousand <laughs> definitions now. So I'm just going to accept the fact that yeah, I'm yeah. trying to capture and create and build upon knowledge within the organization to improve performance. Well, I'll take it. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Annie Green. It's been a great time. Thank you, Edwin. I've enjoyed it too. Always a good conversation with you. <laughs> have just finished our latest Because You Need to Know, a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services. Please join us on LinkedIn and find us at pioneer-ks.org.